Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to all those joining us online as well. And like Jess was just praying, there's so many God stories that go on, you know, month after month in local church life together. And some of those are mountaintop breakthrough moments. Some of those are valleys you never imagine walking through. And then just the everyday life in between. And and we want to capture some of those. We want to encourage, if you'd send in your God stories, tell us what the Lord's doing. Tell us about His work going on in and through your lives. Um, we want to capture those, and we want to be able to share those with a broader body because it's an encouragement, right? When we get together, we get to hear about how God is at work in others' lives. And don't you appreciate that? I think Sunday after Sunday, it's often the stories that you hear of others that you are impacted most with. So info at eaglechurch.com. Okay, so that's where you go. Info at eaglechurch.com. Just send in your God stories, and then we'll get back to you on some type of forum where we want to get those. It doesn't mean I'm going to drag you up here and do what I did to Richard Michaels last week, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but speaking of God stories, how about Richard Michaels last week, huh? Richard, thank you so much for... He's back in his season ticket spot, so... Um, this is uh, Richard from last week, so this is the Lazarus life moment. This is Richard's Lazarus life moment. For those of you who missed out on that, uh, Richard, and we talked about, right, that I, I pick Richard because I feel like he looked like Lazarus. Doesn't he kind of look like him that way? And, and Lazarus came to life last week in John 11. Jesus called him out of his grave, but when he came to life, he was entangled in all of his grave clothes, right? We talked about the journey, right? The Christian life is defined with instantaneous change. There are things he changes in a moment, right? There's one moment where he just changes stuff. And for Richard, it was Christmas Eve 20, 2013 where Jesus called him to life, said, come out of that grave, Richard Michaels. Remember, didn't you love his transparency and his authenticity? He was just so genuine. And how Richard just said he felt like something, Jesus just pulling him. Do you remember that? Just something pull, That's some of your story. Right? Jesus just pulling you towards him. That was the stuff changed that night in Richard's life. But then, and that's what a Bible word for that is salvation or being born again. That's, when, that's, a, that's a moment in time. But then we talked about the Christian life is then also embodied with changing. There's a, a journey that you're entangled, wrapped in a whole bunch of grave clothes. And the process is called discipleship of unwinding the grave clothes and learning to be who we already are, becoming in character who we already are in identity, that's discipleship. Removing the grave clothes one thread at a time. And it's a long obedience in one direction, right, gang? It just kind of keeps unwinding and keeps unwinding. And, and that's why we do, when we gather on Sunday mornings, this is what Sunday morning's about. The church is for discipleship, and discipleship is for the world. So Sunday morning is about helping us take another thread or two of grave clothes and unwind them. That's what Alpha class and EHS class and our children's ministry, our student ministry, and our life groups, what's all this stuff we're doing about? This is what it's about. It's about becoming who we already are. It's about unwinding another layer of grave clothes. It's about be being who Jesus has called and created you to be. It's coming out of the grave of sin and self. It's coming out of it. That's what this is. And so we've been in this journey with the Gospel of John and where we left Lazarus off last week, right? He was alive but bound, right? Some of you were really nervous when Richard was kind of waddling across the stage, right? You're afraid he was just going to like tip over right there, 
right, Richard? And I sent you home with your grave clothes. Did you put them somewhere for kind of a memorial? And your Pam's got her hands up back there. So uh, to remember, right, what Jesus has done and how he is still at work in all of our lives. So open up your Bibles to John 12 today. We're picking up the story with where we left Lazarus off because we left Lazarus, right, in a resurrected coming forth from the grave. So in John 11, Lazarus dies and is raised to life. In John 11, they had a funeral service for Lazarus. In John 12, Lazarus is hosting a dinner party. So can you imagine there might be a few people talking about this. You mean the guy that we had the funeral for last week, he's hosting a dinner gathering this week? Yes. But not everyone who's at the dinner gathering sees what Lazarus has seen or what others are seeing. Because John 12, here's kind of the the theme for John 12. Our sight depends on what's inside us. Our sight depends depends on what's inside us. So here's the scene in John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, the Passover, you need to think Passover. You need to think nationwide celebration, massive religious festival, centered in Jerusalem but spreading out to the suburban areas like Bethany and others. It was remembering the events of Exodus 12, when God had parted the waters and freed the, Egypt, freed the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. They'd been there for 400 years. They'd been crying out to God. God in Exodus 12 made a way when there seemed to be no way. Once a year, the people of God would gather and remember Exodus 12, and they call it the Passover. And that's why today, Easter is often aligned with Passover. So the Jewish celebration of Passover, not the exact day, but in close proximity on the calendar to Christian Easter because it's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of coming forth from the grave. You see this? So this is a scene Jesus is choosing now. So if you're tracking with the storyline of John's gospel, we've been in John's gospel since September with a little break in January. But John 1 through John 11 cover the first 33 years of Jesus' life. John 12 to the end of the gospel is the last seven days. Does that tell you maybe where John wants to draw emphasis to? He wants to make sure we don't miss out on the culminating point of Jesus' life. So he spends almost half of his gospel just on seven days. And this is the beginning of that. As he enters in, to the Passover time. Verse 2, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha, that's Lazarus' sister, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. I imagine he's probably showered, cleaned up, changed clothes, right? For sure. He's come out of those grave clothes fully at this point. He's hanging out at the house. And then Mary, his other sister, takes a pint of pure nard. Some of your translations say spike nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here's a picture of the actual flower where Mary's perfume was derived. This is a spikenard plant. They would take the root of this plant and they would extract the oil from the root. And they said the oil was so, it had such a strong aroma to it and the oil would work its way down into the skin that it would linger with the person who placed it on them for many hours. So often, spikenard was used to anoint bodies who were going to be laid in the grave. So they would use it because it had such strong, it would repel the decaying odor of the body. And so spikenard, so here you got Mary, very expensive, highly sought after. To have a whole jar of this, it would have been close to saying like Mary's life savings. That would be an equivalent for us today. Everything was in kind of that jar for her, all that she had built up. It took a lot to fill that jar. She sees Jesus has come to her house, and what does she do? She takes her jar of perfume, the jar of spikenard, and she pours it out at Jesus' feet, and she works it into his skin with her hair. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Of just, I, I wrote just kind of extravagant love and devotion that Mary brought. She just, it's so extravagant. It's kind of above and beyond. It's just doing whatever needed to be done. She just falls at his feet with extravagant love. But our sight depends on what's inside of us because Mary sees Jesus and pours out her perfume at his feet. Judas sees the scene, this whole scene, the same Jesus, and sees Mary's scene her act of extravagant love, she concludes is extra, he concludes is extravagant waste. Because what's going on in here affects what you see out there. And John wants to make real clear that we're not confused that Judas isn't like some super spiritual extra caring for the poor, right? This is the Judas who, he's like skimming on the offering plate where Jesus is the pastor in the church. Like that's Judas, how about that scene, right? So he's the head usher, and he's got all the offering, and Jesus has taken up an offering, and he's taking his share off of that. And he's most upset that the offering wasn't going to be as large because Mary's perfume was poured out on the feet and on the floor and spilling all over the house instead of being sold and stacking up the offering. So there's something so like twisted around inside of him that he can't see what Mary's seeing. See what Mary sees, right? Do you see that? Because what's going on in here determines what you see out there. This is how we use language like when you, when you really like a person, when you love a person, we use language like this. They can't do anything wrong in our eyes. Ever said that? Ever experienced that? They, they just can't do anything wrong. Everything they do, even if it's on the edge of being wrong, if you love them, if you like them, they can't do anything wrong in your eyes. Just kind of, oh, it's all going to be fine. But equally so, if you really don't like a person, if you're struggling with anger, bitterness, resentment towards someone else, there's virtually nothing right that other person can do in your eyes. No matter how noble their behavior, it's kind of filtered through, right? It's jaded, there's cynicism, judgmentalism. Do you see what's going on in here affects how you see things out there? Our sight depends on what's inside of us. So, a week ago Saturday, when we still had plenty of snow on the ground, you guys remember at the end of that wonderful, glorious week of weather here in Indiana, it just got warm enough where I could take the girls sledding. We kind of try to do the sledding thing as often as we can in Indiana. It's a wild card year. They're going to sled it all during the year. Well, 
one of the best sledding hills in Boone County is right here on our property. You guys just don't know about it. So I took them over here to the church hill on the south part right there by the Hampton Inn. It took Lily and Kaylin, and each of them grabbed a friend, and we went over there and had the sleds, and we were having a great time. The reason that hill's so great, if you hit it just right, you can go all the way out onto the ice. Now, you moms, relax. <laughs> relax right now. I tested it out first. I know I'm not overly heavy, but I stomped on it. I looked at it. It's probably four or five inches thick last week. I mean, you, how cold was it there for those stretch of days? It was plenty thick. And so we're out there, and we hit it just right. You kind of have two hills there, and you can go 30, 40 feet out onto the ice. It's great. It's a great time. We're having a good time. We're going up and down. And well, we're standing at the top of the hill. We're taking a rest, and these two Whitestown police cars pull up. And they're like pulling in by the Hampton Inn, and one of the girls said, hey, what's, something's going on with the cops over here. And I looked at them. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. And then they pull up. They pull up right by the sledding hill. And Lily says, Dad, I think they're here for us. I said, you might be right, honey. So as I'm walking down the hill, Kaylin and Lily say to each other, it's always an adventure when we go out with dad. That's what they say. So I walk down to the two police cruisers, and one of the officers gets out of his car, and he, and he says, hey, we got a call from a concerned citizen who was driving by. And they were so concerned um, that there were kids, like, creating trouble on the church pond. They were really upset about it. And they think someone should come over and deal with it. And, and he said, but I can see that it's an adult with kids who are creating trouble on the church pond. I said, yes, officer, I thank you so much for all you do for our community. And I introduced myself. I said, I'm Eric Simpson, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And he paused. He goes, oh, I can see now that it's a pastor. <laughs> it's the pastor with the kids creating trouble on the church pond. I said, yes, yes, sir. He was laughing. He was, just, he was dying laughing. So he's like, oh, I'm glad you guys are having a good time and all that. We just want to make sure everything was good. And he, goes, he, he says this as he's getting back in his car. He goes, I can't wait to place the return call. That's what he said. I can't wait to tell the concerned citizen who was driving by for her just to relax, that it's the pastor with a bunch of kids sledding down the hill out onto the pond. You see, our sight, right? You can look at the same situation, right? We're on this hill having a great time out there. There's someone driving by going, creating nothing but trouble. What we, right, what we see out here, right, what's going on in here changes what we see out there. Our sight depends on what's inside of us. And notice in the story now, it's not just Mary and Judas that are contrasted. Look at verse 7. Listen how Jesus responds to all this, verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So what's that foreshadowing? Do you see what Jesus is getting at? You see what Spike Nord was used for, right? They'd use it to prepare bodies. And so he's saying, hey, there's an act of devotion and love here that's actually an act of preparation for what's to come. This is the beginning of Passion Week, and he's foreshadowing Crucifixion Friday. He's foreshadowing what's to come on Friday. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be around here very many more days. You're going to have plenty of time to take care of the poor. But me, 
I'm in my last week. And they were, they were struggling to grasp it just like we would have been too. As we'll see in the rest of John's gospel, Jesus kept trying to prepare them for the end, but they weren't ready to embrace it. So look what happens here. Verse 9, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of Him, but also to see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. So Lazarus is like, he's creating all kinds of a stir, right? All the crowd gets together, and they want Lazarus' autograph. Like, hey, this is the guy's funeral we were just at, and now he's hosting a dinner party. We need to go to that dinner party. So he's creating all kinds of a buzz. So the crowd wants Lazarus' autograph. And look, look what the chief priests, the religious leaders, verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Man, that's a rough week for Lazarus. He just walked out of the grave, and they want to put him back in it. Right? He just went through sickness and death, and now he's just like on the Jesus train, and he's kind of like the, you know, the traveling evangelist that goes out, and you bring like the really important testimony guy, like Lazarus was going with Jesus. He like, he had the floor for the testimony. No one was going to refute his story because they were all at his funeral. And so there's all this momentum building, like kill that guy, put him back in the grave. See, your sight depends on what's inside of you. Verse 11. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. That's the work of Jesus, right? He takes a Richard Michael's life and he drags him into the kingdom, maybe kicking and screaming at times. He drags him in, gives him a new heart, new spirit, new name, new destiny. He changes his heart, changes his life, starts unwinding his grave clothes. Why? So when people get around to Richard Michael's life and say, what happened to you? that Jesus happened to me. You don't ever fruit that. Ask Pam Michaels if Jesus happened to her husband. That's the point. The point isn't to see, uh, this point isn't to see Lazarus. The point is all these people now are coming to Lazarus and then they're drawn to Jesus. You see that? Do you see now why in Matthew 23, Jesus says about the religious leaders, he calls them something. He's very direct in Matthew 23. With Jesus, he's often most patient and compassionate and gracious with those who know they're a long way from the kingdom. He's very sharp and critical with those who think they have a corner on the religious market, but they're so blind they can't see the Messiah right in front of them. He's really hard on them. Matthew 23, he calls them blind guides. Blind guides. You see that? You can't see. You claim to have all this spiritual truth. You claim to be leading in the kingdom of God. You can't see the Messiah right in front of you. Blind guide, look at Lazarus. He's come to life. Ask him. You see what Lazarus is seeing, what Mary's was seeing. Contrast that with Judas and the religious leaders. Because what's going on in here affects what you and I see out there. And so, no, I think no more appropriate question to ask as we go to the communion table this morning than this one. How's your sight these days? What are the eyes of the soul seeing these days? What do you see when you look at this table? What do you see? As you look at the bread that's broken open and you look at the juice that's in the containers, what do you see? Do you see what Mary saw? Do you have eyes to see what Mary saw? Mary saw 
extravagant love. She saw unbelievable grace. She saw a pursuit, a a Jesus who would never give up on her. She saw all that, so she fell at his feet and poured out everything she had. You see what Mary saw? What do we see when we come to the table? You know, a big part of coming to the table, this is a good time to take a time out and pause. We pause here. We take a moment and reflect, and you ask, what's going on in here? Because what's going on in here affects what we're seeing out there. And so we prepare our hearts. Maybe there's some Judas-like stuff that's gotten all twisted around in here. Maybe some places of hardness, maybe some places of cynicism, maybe just some just blatant sin and you know it. And this is a place, right? This is a time where you just go, Jesus, I need to get straightened back out. And you get things squared away. And how do you get things squared away? The table reminds us, right? The table says this, you bring your sin to Jesus and he'll bring his healing grace to you. Do you know one of the most towering questions in life that we all need to answer is this, what do I do with my sin? Everybody has to answer that. Because we all know we have it. What do we do with it? What do we do with our failures? What do we do with our sin? What do we do when we carry out the very acts we, long, we didn't think we'd ever carry out? What do we do? Jesus says, you bring your sin to this table, to this cross, to this broken body, and to this shed blood. You open it up to me, and I'll pour out my healing grace on you. What do you see, church, when you come to this table? Worship team, why don't you come back up? The team's just going to start into some music kind of prepare us as we transition to the table. Around here at Eagle, in case you're newer and haven't participated in communion with us, it's an open communion table. You don't need to be a member here. You don't even have to be a regular attender here. But you do need to take a moment and examine if your heart is headed Jesus' way. Are you in with Jesus? doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means do you want to live a life that honors Him? Can you go to this table with authenticity as an act of worship to him? That's that's the examination point. And then in just a moment, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we just all kind of, you'll see folks, you'll see some folks individually, some folks will go as family units, some will go as life groups, whatever you want to do. You go and they just spread out all around the room, and we just take time to remember and to worship. We tear off the bread, which symbolizes his broken body. And we dip it into the juice, which symbolizes his shed blood. And we remember that his life was broken for us. And when we go to that table, we we think about the Lazarus life that he's called us to. We, We think about how he's called us out of our grave of sin and self. We think about this changed and changing life. And do you know the centering piece to all of that dialogue? It's Jesus. The table reminds us what brings this diversified community together. What is the church center? Jesus is the center of the church. It's his name. It's his blood. It's his story. It's his glory. Jesus is the center of everything that's going on here. It's because of what he's done that we're here. And so what do you see? What do you see when you come to this table? You see all he's laid down for you. Take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes now. We're just going to take a moment. This is our pause and examine moment. 
if there's been some stuff off the rails and out of bounds and you know it, now is your time. Just open it up. Confess it to the Lord. Call it what it is. And ask him to bring a fresh covering of his grace and forgiveness over you. Just open it up to him now. Or maybe it's not just outright rebellion on something. Maybe it's just kind of a slow, steady drift. You've known maybe for a long time that it's time to come back to your roots. And maybe today is that day where you just say, you know what? I'm coming back home. Home being coming back to him. Turn your face toward him and you'll see his face has always been turned towards you in love. Just turn and just come right back to him. Maybe it's just circumstantial weariness. Some of you on a long, long journey with all kinds of ups and downs. Maybe you just need a fresh and filling of his strength by the Holy Spirit today. Endurance for the journey. This table reminds us this is where we go. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us the eyes of Mary to see what she saw when you walked in Lazarus' house. As we go to the table, may we pour out our hearts like Mary poured out that jar of spikenard. An act of extravagant love and devotion. We want to offer it up to you. You're worthy. You're worthy. So we do this in remembrance of you. Some of you have come in this morning and and you need prayer. This is your time as you get up in a moment and go to the table. These prayer benches along the way here at the front and on the sides, you just can make your way over to any of these prayer benches. I'll be over on this side. We'll have some elders spread out around the front here as well. And if you'd like prayer for anything going on in your life, we're happy to pray with you. We believe Jesus still heals today. Testimonies going on in our own body this week. Jesus still heals today. Physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, Jesus still heals today. So if you'd like prayer, you come forward for that and we'll be glad to pray with you because it's the table that reminds us source of our healing. Let's stand together. Go to the table now as an act of worship to him.